0: are dismissed for children's church at this time. Acts chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 this morning. You know, it seems as though many, if not most of us, limit God's work in our minds. Often those limitations come because we are more enamored with our traditions and comfort zone than we are with God's truth. It's easier to cling to the familiar than to look at what God is doing, to look at God's word and his revelation and embrace that truth. What we find this morning in the book of Acts chapter 11 is some challenges or are some challenges that Peter faced because he had taken the gospel to the Gentiles. This was way outside the comfort zone of the Jewish believers in the church in Jerusalem. But it was something that God had called Peter to do, and he had to listen to God rather than men. In the first church that I served full-time, there was a guy named Cecil. Cecil defined himself as the fuddy-duddy factor. I remember one business meeting where he stood up and with pride, these words came out of his mouth. I have opposed every forward movement that this church has tried to make. And he saw that as a truly good thing. He wasn't listening to the voice of God. He wasn't looking into God's word. There were sets of traditions and cultural considerations that brought Cecil to the point of view that he loved. We can't change any change I will oppose. What we find here in the book of Acts is God addressing that very issue, by inspiring Luke to record the events in this passage. And what we want to look at first in verses 1 through 2 is this. Traditions die hard for most people. We try to guard our traditions, and often in order to guard our traditions, what we'll do is criticize any change that comes. Look at the first verse, and notice in Acts chapter 11, verse 1, it says, the Apostles And the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now this was a good thing. The word of God was going out. The phrase received the word of God carries with it more than just the idea that they were carrying biblical truths to the Gentiles. The idea that's being communicated in this text in fact means that they had received this word of truth. In other words... They had believed it. They had come to the place to where they had put their faith in the truth of God. And any believer worth their salt should have looked at this and rejoiced in the fact that people were coming to Christ. And yet, what we find in verse 2 is startling. Look at verse 2, and after it makes this statement about this word spreading throughout the church in Judea, Verse 2 says this, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Now rather than going up to Peter and saying, Peter, praise God, we are so thankful that the word of God is going to the Gentiles. We are seeing God's truth brought before those who need it. Rather than doing that... What happened? There was a group within the church that was so committed to holding on to their traditions and their way of life, they were unwilling to allow that God was doing a work in the early church because God was stepping out of the box that they had put Him in. And so when God did something new and unexpected, they were there to resist. Listen. We need to be careful to not put God in a box. God is greater than any box that we can build because God is infinite. We don't want to judge God by our culture, by our traditions, by our feelings. We want to look to God to see who he reveals himself to be in his word and build our understanding of who he is solidly on that firm foundation rather than a foundation that we build for ourselves. And that's what the early church was facing. God was moving outside their comfort zone. They didn't know how to handle it. So what did they do? They began to criticize God's messenger, Peter, Now, think about who Peter is. When Christ commissioned Peter as an apostle, he placed in Peter's hands authority to teach Christ's teachings to the church. So, rather than looking to the person that Jesus Christ himself and the persons and all of the apostles that Jesus Christ had selected as those who were to lead the church as those who were carrying forth the message of Christ and the apostolic teachings, what did they do? They criticized. They said, wait a minute, this goes outside the realm and the area that we feel comfortable with. We never did it that way before. So we don't want to see you, Peter, step outside of the box that we've neatly drawn. Peter was following the direction of the Lord. As we look through chapter 10, what did we see? Peter himself initially resisted what God was asking him to do, right? Peter himself had drawn that same box and put God in it. But then when God told him to step outside the box after resisting three times, finally, what happened? Peter responded. And as a result, God's work was done. And that's what we need to understand. When we put God in our box, it will resist God moving outside that box in our minds, and we won't see the work of God being accomplished. We won't recognize it for what it is. That was Peter's struggle. That was the early church's struggle. Peter's struggle initially when he was told the first time and resisted. The churches, when Peter told them what God was doing. All of this resistance to what God was doing. Why? Not because they were looking to God's word, but because they were looking to that which was comfortable and familiar. That which was a tradition and a way of thought. So here are these people criticizing Peter. The word criticize in the original language is a word that means to resist. It's a word that means to stand against. It's a very strong word that is used here. So rather than rejoicing in the work of God among the Gentiles, they were looking and they were saying, look, we don't like this. We're not comfortable with what you've done, Peter. Cut it out. Stop it. You're breaking down every boundary that we've set, and we want you to stop it now. So here is Peter facing this criticism. But then we go on in the text, and we find this about people. People have a natural tendency to defend their traditions. That's kind of our default position. We all know what a default position is, right? That perspective, that thought process that we naturally go back to. For many of us, that default position is change bad, right? That's our thought process. That's where we are. If something changes, it's just not good. If it goes against my comfort zone where I've been thinking, then it's just not good. You know, I remember as a young person, I grew up in a very strict church, and I was what I considered witnessing to one of my friends. So we were hanging out, and I started talking to him about several activities that he was engaged in that he needed to stop doing. First of all, I told him that the music that he listened to was way too rocky. Any kind of a rock beat and you are just wicked. So quit listening to that terrible rock music. Cut it out. I told him his hair was too long. I told him that There were just a lot of things that he needed to change and I addressed each one of those with him. And to my shame, what I never addressed to him was his need of Jesus Christ. I was more concerned about having him conform to the standards that I embraced, the traditions that I had come to the place to where I saw as most important more concerned for him becoming this person that I wanted to shape and mold him into than I was about his personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's to my shame. I still think about the conversations that I had with him and hope and pray that God brought somebody with some sanity into his life who was able to share the gospel with him later. But this is what we do. We go to this default position. We look and we say, these are the parts of my culture and my tradition that I feel comfortable with. And this is where everybody else has to be. But look at what we find here in this third verse. When Luke writes this, he discusses the criticism. And this is the criticism that they made. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now what's their criticism? Not that you carried the gospel to the Gentiles, but that he had breached protocol. That was their big concern. You, Peter, have breached protocol. Now, what was that protocol that they're talking about? What was the way of doing things in this culture that upset them so about Peter going and eating, sharing a meal with Gentiles? Here's what we need to understand. In the Eastern culture, the idea of sharing a meal with somebody shows acceptance. When you sit down to a meal with somebody, you are saying, I accept you, I fellowship with you. I'm engaging with you. It's a very intimate, a very important part of interaction in the Near East. And so for these Jewish believers, the concept of a Jewish man fellowshipping and spending time and accepting those who are non-Jewish, inconceivable. It just didn't make sense. We get an image of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where it talks about when the church disciplines someone. The scripture says, I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a sl- uh, swindler. Then look at the lessons. This is what I wanted to key in on. With such a man, do not even eat. The idea is don't spend table fellowship with a person who claims to be a believer but lives in every way opposite. Because in so doing, you're giving approval to their lifestyle, to what they're doing. So for these Jewish believers, it was the same thing with Peter. You went into the house of a Gentile. You went to somebody that we look at and that we reject. And you did wrong by spending time with them. Never mind that they heard the gospel and received it. It was more important that you observe our cultural Distinctives than it is that you carry the gospel. Now this is profound when we think about it. There are missionaries all over the globe who face judgment calls when they interact with other cultures. Do you realize this? Many missionaries, when they go on a mission field, have to ask themselves this question. Is what this person doing a cultural distinctive or a biblical distinctive? The goal of missionaries is not to make Americans around the globe. That's not their goal. The goal of missionaries isn't to establish an American style church around the globe. You know what the goal of a missionary is? To win people to Christ, to share the gospel and see people come into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so they have to make judgment calls constantly. Is this a cultural consideration or a biblical consideration? This is what Peter was facing here. The group within his church was more concerned about the cultural traditional elements of their faith than they were the truth, getting out to the lost And so Peter had to address this. And this is what he does beginning in verse 4. He had to take time to explain God's leading. And he had to help the people to understand that true change comes from God. Look at the fourth verse and once again we see a retelling of what transpired where Peter was in Joppa And he had to go to Caesarea. And so, once again, Luke retells the story. This is several times that we've gone through this story. As a matter of fact, probably during the scripture reading this morning, some of you were thinking, oh, Pastor picked the wrong passage because he's talking about Cornelius again. No, it's repeated several times in the book of Acts. Why? For emphasis. But each time there's a little shade of emphasis that changes. What Peter wanted... The circumcised believers to understand was this. God was responsible for the change, not Peter. That was the point that he wanted to make. As we saw, Peter was a person who would have never gone in the direction that God guided him in, left to himself. Look at the fourth verse. Peter began and explained everything to them uh, precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision, and I saw something like a sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was, and I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds of the air. And then I heard a voice telling me, "Get up, Peter, kill and eat." I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Now, notice the emphasis that we're seeing here. The idea to go to Cornelius and share the gospel did not originate with Peter. We see that he had a vision from God, a sheet from heaven, a voice from heaven, the command of the Lord. All of these things are brought out in this text to emphasize the fact that this was of God, not of Peter. You know, that's such a vital thing for us to understand, that we need to follow the leadership of God and not the logic of people. If we go with our own understanding, apart from the revelation of God, we're going to blow it every time. We're not going to see what God would do had we listened and responded. Peter would have missed out on a tremendous blessing if he persisted in saying, Surely not, Lord. Wouldn't he? God would have sent someone else to Cornelius But Peter himself would have missed out. And you know, as I thought about this text, I wondered how many times have I missed out on the blessing of God because I've been stubborn. Because I've said I'm going to hold on to what I think and what I believe and nobody's going to... to Convince me differently on these matters of culture or tradition. Listen, when it comes to the Word of God, hold on to it with everything you've got. But in the matters that aren't addressed in the Word of God, that pertain more to preference or culture, we have to hold those with an open hand. And we have to be ready for God to change those things. And this is what Peter was saying to these people. I initially resisted. But then look at verse 9. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. So Peter's perspective was changed. This true change came from God, not Peter. We need to listen to the voice of God. We need to listen to what God directs us to do in his word. And resisting because we feel uncomfortable or resisting because that's something I'm just not feeling at this moment. Poor reasons to not listen to the voice of God. Then we also see this in verses 11 through 16. We see that not only does Peter mention that what transpired with Cornelius came because of God Himself. But he also talks about trusting the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. Now, a little bit of review. Remember, these three men were sent by Cornelius, this Gentile person who needed to hear the gospel, and when these men went to Peter's house and asked him to come, look at verse 12, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. You know what the Spirit of God was doing? He was confirming what Peter had heard from God. Now, I don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter. It's not shared in this text. Whether it was audible or inner, we don't know. But what we do know is this. The Spirit of God spoke and Peter listened. And as a result, the work of God went forward. We find that Peter trusted the leadership of of the Spirit of God. Look at this, at this text as it goes on. After verse 12, it goes on to say, he told us, speaking of Cornelius, how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. And then look at verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as He had come on us at the beginning. Now we move the story along. Peter responded to what the Spirit of God told him to do. He went from Joppa to Caesarea. And then when he goes there and he shares the Gospel, you remember the story there in Acts 10. While Peter was giving the Gospel, Cornelius responded before he could even complete the message that he had prepared. And what happened? The Holy Spirit confirmed the work of God outwardly by Cornelius manifesting the Spirit of God by speaking in tongues. This was the only way that the group that had come with Peter could see that the Spirit of God had come upon the Gentiles. Remember, had the Gentiles just gone up and said, yeah, I received the Spirit of God, what would have happened? All of the Jewish believers would have said, yeah, right, Where's your proof? Right? There had to be an outward manifestation, a demonstration that the Spirit of God had indeed come upon the Gentiles. And so what did God do? God baptized them in the Spirit just as he had baptized the apostles in Acts chapter 2. And it was confirmation, proof positive that God was changing things. That what Peter had experienced all along was only part of God's program but God was shifting to include the Gentiles. This is a pivotal time in the book of Acts, and this is a pivotal time in the early church. Peter had to speak to the early church to convince them that this was the work of God, because otherwise they would have remained right there in Jerusalem, doing their own thing, not reaching out to the Gentiles around them. God had to do something drastic and dramatic to drive home the message that I am at work in a way that you could not have imagined. And you know, that's something I've found through my years in ministry. God does things that surprise you. If everything that's done is something that I can look at and say, yeah, I have this all figured out, I knew all of this was going to happen. It's happening just the way I planned. I have a problem. We have to be willing to see the hand of God work in our midst. Not resisting it, but embracing it. And this is what Peter had to embrace for himself and what the church in Jerusalem had to embrace as well. And it has to be God-centered. What stands out to me about this passage is this. People were just moved around by God. But God was doing the work. And you know, when you see the work of God being done in the church... That's the viewpoint that we need to understand. God is the one that does the work. I'm a vessel. I'm someone that God takes and moves from here to here to accomplish that work, and it's a privilege to be used of God to accomplish that work, but God's the one that does the work. And I have to understand that. Nobody can look and say, look what I did when there's a work of God in the church. The only thing we can do is step back and say, God, you're amazing. Look at what you've done. Every advancement in the church, and I'm not just talking about Oak Lawn Bible Church, I'm talking about the church as a whole. Every advancement is because of the work of God, not because of men. Men can be used of God. But God's the one that does the work. And it's true of our salvation too, isn't it? Our salvation doesn't rest in the work of men. It rests in the work of God. That Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And it's not because I'm better than someone else or live a more righteous life than someone else that I come into a relationship with the Father. Because I trust the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross as my hope of salvation. And I trust His authority to forgive sins and grant eternal life. And when I come before the Lord Jesus Christ with that kind of faith, turning from what I've always been to who He is, then I find forgiveness and a relationship with God. What do we find After salvation, the same principle is true. I need to trust God, not my human efforts, not the things that I can do, not the program that I read about in a book somewhere that worked for one body of believers, and if I just do those five simple steps, it'll work here too. None of that really matters. It's God that does the work. And our responsibility, trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter did. And God did something amazing. And look at verse 16. Peter remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What happened in the house of Cornelius when all of those Gentiles had turned to God and God confirmed their salvation? By the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was the fulfillment of the word of the Lord. And so Peter shared that with his listeners. Last part of this passage I want us to look at, verses 17 and 18. Transformation comes through God's word and God's work. And I think something that we really need to grasp is this. We need to think in line with what God reveals, not traditions. Look at verse 17. So if God gave them the same gift as He gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Now this is a common sense statement, right? Peter is looking and he's saying, look, I couldn't argue with what God did in the person of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't argue with the voice of the Lord that I heard when he said, go to Cornelius and share the gospel. I couldn't argue with what Cornelius told me that God had told him. So I'm left with one of two options. Hold on to my tradition and my comfort zone and resist the work of God. Or look to the work of God and consider these things secondary. And that's where we have to be. We have to view the things that are outside God's Word as secondary. The things that are in it as primary. That's what God was calling Peter and the church at Jerusalem to do to recognize that what we're here to do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see God transform lives. We're not going to change them from the outside in like I tried to do with that friend that I described to you. Listen, the friend that I described to you, if he had stopped listening to rock music, if he had cut his hair, if he had done every external thing that I told him that he needed to do, he would have been just as lost as he was before. What he needed to do was surrender his heart to Christ by understanding it's not my sinful inclinations And my good things that I do that win a relationship with God, it's simple faith in what Jesus did. And I will trust God to give me forgiveness for my sin and bring me into right standing with God. That's what he needed to do. Too often we try to change people from the outside in, it never works. Because eventually, you can't deliver on the external standards. You're going to mess up. And if all that we are are people who have been changed from the outside in, we accomplish nothing. We're list followers, not followers of God. What Peter needed To communicate and what God is communicating to us in this text is God does the work. Our response, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ does the work. We must respond to what He has done. That's what Peter was telling this group of people who were criticizing him for stepping outside of their tradition. And he was driving home the point that we cannot resist God and His work. Final thought. We need to thank God whenever people come to faith. Look at the 18th verse. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God. Now, to their credit, those that Peter addressed finally responded to the message of God. Their initial response was, we're not going to raise any further rejection or objections. What we're going to do is just simply praise God because Gentiles were saved. And it was a part of the work of God. There's a place where we need to humble ourselves, isn't there? A place where we need to stop saying I'm right, don't confuse me with the facts of what God's word says. I have my mind made up. This is where I am. Don't confuse me. We need to look at what God's word says. And then when we see perspectives and behaviors that don't match up with God's word, what are we to do? Abandon them. And embrace what God's word says. Whether it's a system of thought, whether it's a cultural distinctive, whether it's a tradition, all of those are secondary to God's truth. So here are people who understand that. And here's what they praise God for. Look at the last part. So then God has granted, even to the Gentiles, repentance unto life. What is this saying? To understand this last statement, you have to understand what repentance means. The original language, repentance, very simply means a change of mind. Metanoia, two Greek words. Meta meaning change, noia meaning mind. Here's what they needed to do. They needed to change their thinking about who Jesus is, about what he did for them with his sacrifice on the cross, They needed to lay aside their own works of righteousness. Remember, Cornelius had been a man who had said that if I do righteous things, God will accept me. But if you remember, even as good as Cornelius was, what happened? God said, someone needs to come and share with you the gospel so that you and your household can be saved. It wasn't his works of righteousness that would make him right with God the Father. It was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and having that personal relationship with God. So he needed to change his mind. And when he changed his mind about who Jesus is, what he did on the cross for his sin, what happened? Eternal life. God granted him. Gave as a free gift. That's what that word granted means. Eternal life. What a wonderful passage we find here in Acts chapter 11. The same God who worked through Peter, who brought the gospel to Gentiles, who saw an explosion in the gospel in that first century, is the God that we worship and serve today. And we need to take the attitudes and have a like mind with Peter and being willing to lay aside the things that hinder the work of God and jump on board with what God would do in our lives individually and corporately as a church. I think that's our takeaway from this passage of Scripture. God is the one that does the work, not us. And I'm so thankful that that's the case Infinite, without limit, is so much better than very limited. And we need to understand that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the...